Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have here week after week to worship together, to pray together, to call on your name, to stop and slow down and think about who you are, about your grace and your goodness and the way that you lead us. We come here together Sunday after Sunday because we are learning together and we are growing together. None of us is the completed package. We all bring our, our hopes and our dreams and also our failures and our faults. And we hope that in some way you will whisper to each and every one of us. Whisper a word of truth that we hadn't understood before. Whisper into our ear saying this is for you at some point. Or nudge us in a direction in terms of how you want to use us how you want us to get involved in what you're doing in the world. I pray that you would forgive our sins and allow us to walk away from here feeling renewed, refocused, re-energized, refreshed. God, we also pray that as we open your word that we'd gain wisdom and understanding as far as who you are and, and how you want to relate to us what you want us to do with our lives and with our talents and our gifts. We pray for those who are part of our church family who are sick or who are struggling. We pray that you would give them strength and energy to fight on. We, we pray for those who are shut in this morning and watching online or those who are, who are choosing to watch online because they're checking us out from a distance or they just prefer this option. We pray that you would continue to minister to them to strengthen them, to encourage them, and to enfold them in the life of our church, even though we don't see them today. Make us one church, even though we are in several locations this morning. We pray for those friends of ours who have moved away to other states and been part of our fellowship. For those who are continuing to fellowship with us through this online tool, we pray that you, you will continue to enfold them in, in new ways and for those who are looking for a church in their own new area, we pray that you would make them a blessing to some other fellowship and make them stronger as a result of all this. Now, Lord, I pray for the courage and the wisdom to speak what you put on my heart based on studying your word this week so that we will understand it clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. During the 41 years that Sue and I have been married, we have lived in Colorado and then here in the Boston area, far from my in-law's longtime home in Minneapolis. So we made an effort year after year, most years, to spend some time with them in Minnesota. Uh, we would spend a number of summer vacations with them. Sometimes we'd go skiing in Colorado with them at Christmas time. And no matter where we were, whether we were skiing in the mountains or we were on the lakes in Minnesota or they were back here, on one of these family vacations, we've got the whole group together, my mother-in-law would invariably bring out a puzzle. She loved puzzles. Now, there was, there was a method to her madness because in the course of doing these large tabletop puzzles, she would draw everybody else in the family into the process of doing that. Even if they only stayed for a few minutes, they'd put a couple of puzzle pieces in place. And after a few days, you'd start to see the picture becoming a little bit clearer. And usually, if we spent a week there, by the end of the week, 
with everybody participating, the puzzle came together. Now, there's a reason why I'm telling you that story. Today's the day when the puzzle pieces that we've been working on for the last seven weeks come together in regard to our study of Genesis chapter 1. For the past seven weeks, we've been working our way through this series based on this opening chapter of the Bible that we've called The Genius of Genesis. And today we come to the final verses of, of chapter 1, and our topic this morning is Created on Purpose. So this is part 8, the final piece, and each week we have been mining out bedrock principles that help us understand God, the world around us, and our place in it. And we've been looking at this from more of a theological view, identifying important themes that are introduced to us one by one in this opening chapter of the Bible, which I think is intentional, that God wants us to wrestle with. So here's the question that uh, is behind this morning's topic. Now that we see God as the genius of Genesis, what is our role? What do we do with this? What is our ongoing role? So our theme this morning is created on purpose. Let me, let me walk you through three steps in this message. Here's the first one. All that we see is shaped by the genius of Genesis. Verse 1 of the Bible, verse 1 of Genesis says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'd like to walk you through where we've been the last several weeks. If you've missed a week or two, you're going to get a quick overview here. But there's a reason that I want you to do this, because it leads to the final uh, conclusions that Kalen just read for us from the end of chapter 1 of Genesis. First, we saw that only God can explain the beginning. The first three words of the Bible are in the beginning. Genesis, if you will notice, doesn't begin like a fairy tale and it doesn't tell us about a make-believe world. Instead, in the beginning, in a very important way, fixes us at the beginning of it all. For there to be a beginning, three forces must or had to come together at the same time. For there to be matter, there had to be space to house that matter. For there to be space, there must be time, or space never exists. It's only a theory. So the words, in the beginning, pinpoint one moment when all three of these forces come into existence together at exactly the same point, which is actually what is absolutely necessary for all three to exist. How amazing that this opening phrase of the Bible fits with the discoveries that we found from the, the, the Hubble and the Webb telescopes which reveal a universe that is expanding and yet slowing down. This outward expansion reveals that there had to be a beginning because there's movement in an outward uh, direction from a, a starting point. The reality that the expansion is slowing down also tells us something very important, that there will be an end, that this world will not exist forever just on its own. So that was week one. In week two, we discovered that God is the real genius of Genesis. The addition of the fourth word of the Bible declares in the beginning, God. Our God, the God of beginnings, is a self-revealing God. He tells us he was there. He alone was there. He alone can account for the beginning. And this self-revealing God is our creator. He speaks and molds and forms at his will. Then we saw in week three, we found that Genesis introduces a broad theological theme, the theme of light versus darkness. The force of the command that God gives reveals his authoritative power. In the Hebrew, it would be literally translated something like, light be, 
And then it says, and light was. We saw how John's gospel deliberately invokes those same words in the beginning. And John tells us that Jesus was with God in the beginning and that he was God. Jesus, the Son of God, is the light shining in the darkness and the creative agent that God used in the creation of the world. So the New Testament says that our world was created through him and by him and for him. Through Jesus, God is also relentlessly at work right till this very day, pushing back the darkness with his light of truth. Then in week four, we saw the fourth truth. We learned that God has ordered the heavens and the earth. And one by one, we're marching through the broad themes that Genesis is introducing us to. Now it tells us that God stepped back and observed, and he saw. This automatically lets us know something about our God, that this creator God is not like the idols of wood and stone that the nations around the people of Israel worshipped. He saw. He not only saw, but he sees, he hears, he speaks, he observes everything in this world. He is alive and attentive and watchful. And he has specifically shaped the design of our world. Every part of it is designed as what Psalm 19 calls the handiwork of God. So Psalm 19 opens with these words. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. This is amazing. So it's saying that the, the stars in the sky, the expansion that you just saw on the screen behind me a moment ago, speaks to us every day. It speaks to people all around the world. You might think, well, who's paying attention to that? Who's, who hears that voice? I remember a number of years ago reading... Uh, a biography of Jake DeShazer. DeShazer was one of the bombers uh, from Jimmy Doolittle's Raiders who had that first bombing in Tokyo that was a response to the destruction that happened uh, at Pearl Harbor. And DeShazer ended up being a prisoner of war in a Japanese POW camp for about two and a half years. And during that time, he was the only reading material that he had was a Bible. And as he read the Bible, the words of Jesus came alive to him. And eventually he became a missionary and he wanted to bring the gospel back to Japan. Well, an interesting thing happened about the time that he was making his way to Japan. There was the man who'd been the pilot in the lead bomber in the Tokyo bombings. And he was a farmer who was absolutely distraught after the end of World War II thinking, why did we attack the Americans that everything had, had come to shame and humiliation for him? And he was out literally farming late one afternoon and he was watching it. the stars came out and the stars were alive. And he looked up to the heavens and he said, if there's a God up there, there has to be a way that you can get your message to me. A week later, he had a business trip that took him to Tokyo and as he was coming up out of the subway, a man handed him a pamphlet inviting him to a meeting where Jake DeShazer was going to be speaking. And that night he heard the gospel for the first time. You see, the God of the stars had spoken to him in that moment. And the two of them ended up becoming an evangelistic team that went all through Japan for a number of years proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ where two former enemies at the very start of key moments of World War II came together, united by the gospel of Christ because the heavens had spoken to Mr. Toshida who'd been the lead bomber at Pearl Harbor. The heavens declare 
the handiwork of God. The skies proclaim his glory. Day after day, they pour forth speech. And their voice goes out into all the earth. Then in the fifth week, we saw the goodness factor. God steps back five times and he announces over his creative process, this is good. These acts of God introduce us to the theme of God's goodness. When we put this together with Romans 8.28, we discovered a God who is not only good, but who tirelessly works for the good of his people in all things. And then in week six, we learned that all human beings are created in God's image. We are not God, but we are created in his image, and in his image, we share several characteristics and attributes with God. By nature, human beings reflect, reveal, and represent God in this world. And every single person has a capacity for relating to God, the God who wants to be known whether we want to know him or not. And because every human being is created in the image of God and endowed with dignity, we found that there are a number of things that flow from that. We respect, honor, and protect all human life. There's no room for racial division or superiority. We specifically respect, honor, and include women because those texts that teach us about the image of God in all people specifically make sure that we know that this includes women, that it's not just for men. We reject every notion of subjugating women for doing so diminishes the image of God. And we address the social issues of our day from the starting point of seeing the image of God in every human being, which gives us a bridge to just about every group in this world. Then last week we recognized that we are Genesis 1 people living in a Genesis 3 world. So yes, God created male and female and pronounced them good in his sight, but we refuse to use the Bible, tr- Bible truth in any way that beats down those who experience a lack of cohesiveness between even biological sex and self-identity, one, one of the great controversies of our day. This determination is rooted in the knowledge that we are all in some way broken and especially sexually broken because of all the damage that has happened since the time of the fall. Yet we live with the hope that is, there is no one who is beyond the reach of God's redeeming love and transforming power. Absolutely no one. Of all people, we have the greatest reasons to live with hope when we look at our brothers and sisters around this world, no matter who they are, no matter how they describe themselves, no matter what their journey has been. This fits our vision statement. This is our statement. People being forever changed by God's love and daily changing the South Shore and beyond for Jesus. We look at all the South Shore and say, there is room for God's presence to be greater. There are people here who need to discover the life-transforming power of God, no matter what kind of baggage they bring with them. And so we meet them where they are, and we bring that gospel to them. Now, that quick review of where we've been the last seven weeks that kind of gives you a reminder of the broad themes of chapter one leads us to discovering more of God's purpose for us in this world. So two more observations. Number two is that we are blessed to extend blessings. Look at what it says in verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Notice that after God endows the first people with his image, the very next thing that God does is he blesses them. What does that mean? The Old Testament concept of blessing means to enrich, to endow, 
or to salute on bended knee. So it has this idea that we are, we are projecting greatness onto somebody. We are endowing them with, with some blessing. There's a word picture here that comes from that ancient Hebrew word. It, it, it literally speaks of weighing old coins on a scale and adding value or worth to that. So when we're talking about blessing a person, we are adding value or adding worth to their lives with the words that we add to them or that we describe them with. The New Testament also has a word that, that speaks to this. It's the word eulogio that we get uh, eulogy from. It literally means to celebrate someone with high praise. So this afternoon when we uh, say goodbye to Dave Smith, there will some, be some people who will eulogize Dave. That happens in every single funeral that you go to where we speak about them with the best words, the highest praise that we can. This is a way of blessing them. It is interesting that God's blessing is tied to the command to be fruitful and fill the earth. You get the sense that God blesses us so that we will bless the rest of his creation. The earth is here for us, but we are to bless the earth and everything in it. You and I are given the capacity to bless everything and everyone that we touch in this life. And when we do that, we reflect and we represent God in doing so. We are blessed by God in order to spread that blessing around the world. This was part of the Creator's commissioning of the very first human beings. And this is why God still blesses people today. Not just for us, but so that we will extend the blessing more widely. This is part of our purpose. We are blessed to spread God's blessings. Now, for those of you who are longtime Christians, think of how neatly this fits the great commission that Jesus gave at the end of his public ministry. When Jesus commissions Christ followers to go and to make disciples everywhere in the world, sharing the good news, baptizing people, and teaching them everything that Jesus has commanded. The greatest blessing that we can give is showing other people the way to finding the grace of God through Jesus. By the way, Sue and I went to see Jesus Revolution on uh, Saturday night, or actually it was Friday night in Braintree. It's the movie about how God began to change the, the thinking and the hearts and the mindset of a number of hippies going back to 1968 out in California. Kelsey Grammer, think Fraser Crane, does an amazing job of pay, uh, playing Pastor Chuck Smith, who was the leader of the Calvary Chapel movement, which the, was the first church to open their doors to these long-haired, barefoot, drug-inducing or drug-taking uh, truth-seekers that were known as hippies. I have to tell you, I was fighting back tears a number of times as I was watching the way that God worked in that situation and began to change the heart of pastors and, and change the heart of, of people who were searching for him. This is absolutely worth seeing. This is not a makeshift Christian movie. This is a high-level Hollywood-done movie without changing the story, without in any way um, uh, Hollywoodizing it. Really, really well done and worth seeing. Okay, how do we bless people? John Trent and Gary Smalley in their book, The Blessing, encourage us to actively bless people in five ways. They created a little acronym on the word bless. I put it into your notes for this morning if you want to take that home. So the, the, the first letter is B, stands for be committed. A blessing is meant to have a long-term impact of well-being on other people. Then lovingly touch. 
Use the power of a hug or an appropriately affirming touch. Touch is so important. It's got to be done in the right way or it's going to be misunderstood. Guys, we have to get really good at reading the signals of when we don't touch and when we can and how we should do that and how we should not do that. But it's still a part of our world. It breaks down the isolation. And there are right moments for a hug or a, a pat on the shoulder or a fist bump or something that lets you know that we care and that we're involved. The E stands for express value. Find words to communicate how highly you value other people. The first S is for see potential. See potential and help others picture that potential that you see and and help them rise toward that goal. One of the people who does that best around here is our executive pastor, Todd Shimshak. He continually sees ability and potential in other people and then gets to work in training them and encouraging them to, to put their gifts into play. And he's a champion for that. The last S is say it. It's not enough to think it. It's not enough to to have this hope, but you've got to actively put it into words so that it will have impact. When we say words of affirmation over other people, they have power. So here's the big idea that I'm trying to get across this morning. We continue to honor the genius of Genesis by blessing and cultivating wherever we go. So now you know where we're going with this last observation. We are commissioned to cultivate. Let me show you where that comes from. If we take all of verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that lives along the ground. Notice how God's blessing is immediately followed with this sense of purpose. There are five areas of responsibility that God gives to the human race. Uh, Brian Bill, who's the guy that contributed the the spark that that led me to do this series with his concept about the genius of Genesis, wrote that there are five areas of responsibility that are laid out in this verse that God gives to the human race. The first is to be fruitful. God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful. Part of this was his encouragement for them to have children, Children are seen as a blessing from the Lord. This is probably the one area where, at large, the human population has actually obeyed God. We now have 8 billion people on the face of this planet. I think we have done a good job of filling the earth and of being fruitful. And yet, that's not all that this means. God wants every human being who carries his image and who reflects his, his nature and some, at, some of his attributes to add something of honor and worth to other people as we represent God. He wanted other people to know him, and so we are to enjoy him and to be fruitful in life with all kinds of pursuits and interests. The second challenge is to flourish. So God tells them to multiply. The core concept behind this has to do with human flourishing, the idea that uh, we will take something and and bring it to a better conclusion, to a a higher purpose or a fuller purpose. And so we take our gifts and our talents and we make some part of this world function better. The third challenge that he gives us is to fill the earth. Filling carries with it the notion of finishing or satisfying. Uh, not, Not that God's not capable of finishing his own work, but there's a reason that he brought us into this world He wants to carry on with the work that he started. Think of it this way. God was not satisfied with just two people being created in his image. 
He envisioned a world filled with image bearers, each one cultivating some part of this world, each one cultivating our part of the garden, so to speak. This also speaks of filling the world with the blessing and goodness that God grants, filling the earth with your talent, your gifts, your abilities, and where they take you. This helps because now we see this involves more than families who have children. If you're single or married without children, there are many ways that we fill the earth with goodness and that we flourish in this life. The fourth challenge that was given here to the first human beings was to overcome obstacles. God tells us to subdue the earth. And so the concept behind subduing the earth has to do with overcoming all of the challenges that the earth brings. This is usually the way this word is used in the Bible. It pictures active, thoughtful, hardworking cultivation. In essence, we are commanded to study the earth, to develop, to harness its potential for good. And there's so many ways that human beings do this. Think of the person who buys a field and then painstakingly cultivates it to bring about a harvest. This involves hard work, pulling out the stumps, plowing the field, weeding, planting seed, continuing to bring in the harvest. We act as caretakers of God's creation, developing its potential and harnessing its raw materials and energy. In this way, we see that the earth was created for us, not the other way around, yet the image of God in us makes us responsible for its welfare. We are caretakers of this world, as well as those who use the resources in it. Then the last challenge is to exercise authority. So he says, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves along the ground. We are to rule over the earth as representatives of a God who holds us to account to him. So every planted thing is there to be cultivated for food. It is probably true that Adam and Eve were vegetarians at first, but that changed over time. By Genesis 9, we see God giving uh, people in the days of Noah permission to eat meat. Even Jesus ate roasted lamb as part of the Passover celebration. So you can't make the argument that we're all supposed to be vegetarians. Nothing wrong if you want to do that, but I like a good piece of steak. And it's okay. God even allowed for food for the animal kingdom as well. And all of this is part of exercising the authority that God has granted for us to use this world for good and for sustenance. And we are to use that authority without abusing it. So what have we learned today? Three things. All that we see in this world has been shaped by God's hand. Second, we are blessed to extend blessings. Wherever you go today, wherever you go this week, find a way to bless somebody else. If you believe that God has blessed you, that should be our daily challenge. Who can I bless today? How can I share the blessings that he has given me and to extend that sense of blessedness? And we are commissioned to cultivate. What passion has God given you? What interest has he given you for cultivating something in this world? Maybe you're cultivating faith in young children. Maybe you are, you are cultivating your corner of the world with the way that your particular gift plays out through your job. Maybe what you are doing is cultivating the way that we serve our neighbors and that we serve those who are in our families and those that we love. But we all cultivate something and God wants what you're passionate about to flourish and to grow because when you do that, 
it reflects the God who put all this there in the first place. And then we see that when God stepped back and saw all that he had made, this is when he pronounced, it is very good. Folks, when I see a congregation filled with people who bear the image of God and who want to flourish in his sight, I see something that is very, very good. We continue to honor the genius of Genesis by blessing and cultivating wherever we go. Now, my hope is that this eight-week series has been meaningful to you. I know it has been for me because it's given me greater focus in understanding how the first chapter of the Bible functions and how it helps me understand the world around us. When we embrace these foundational principles of Genesis 1, we have a better understanding of God, our world, and our place in it. Let's pray. Father God, allow us to take these truths that we've been learning for the last several weeks and apply them in the way that we see others, in the way that we see your handiwork, in the way that we bless other people, in the way that we seek to make some corner of our world a little bit better and maybe even flourish. Thank you for involving us in work that you have intended to be done all along. And I ask that you will bless us as we seek to honor you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.